The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where usually we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This podcast is a compliment to the Numinous School, an online intuition development course for people who want their self-awareness to make a difference in the world. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and what's different about today is it's the second part in our three-part mini-series, Becoming Your Own Spiritual Advisor. And so this conversation is one-sided because it's just me talking. But in this episode, I'm talking about, wow, it's pretty far-ranging. It's uh, grounding exercises, I touch on my vision quest, and I talk about trance states in hypnosis and different spiritual modalities. I hope you enjoy the show today, and just a heads up that it is slightly longer form than normally. This show will run about 44 minutes long. Hi, it's Carmen Spaniola here, and thank you so much for being with me for the second part of this podcast, Becoming Your Own Spiritual Advisor. In the first part of the podcast, I was really giving an uh, overview of uh, what I'm actually going to be speaking about today, uh, the five stages of spiritual development. And in that overview, I was really uh, sort of giving the broad strokes of the spiritual life and the importance of developing the intuition. Now I'd like to go more deeply into the five stages So each of the stages has um, signs, elements, energy, moods that will help you identify where you are in your spiritual process. Remembering, of course, that you may be in a different stage in different areas of your life or in different relationships. And each also has a shadow expression. It's important that we learn the signs, both the the light and the dark, so that we can be self-aware and also live hopefully responsibly and not affect others negatively, if we can avoid it, uh, while we're in our process. Matthew Fox said, humankind cannot live wisely, sanely, or gently without the cosmos. Without the cosmos, humankind becomes arrogant and manipulative in its idolatry of itself and its ways. And as I said before, we are a metaphor for the universe and for spirit. And so we need to be able to live in this state of flow and self-awareness of our place in the cosmos so that we don't slip into the myth that we're the center of it all. So part of the way that we learn our place in the cosmos is about the seasons and the rhythms of the cosmos, and that's really what the five stages of spiritual development reflect. The first stage is called the inbreaking. The inbreaking is what the Quakers talk about. They talk about the inbreaking consciousness of God. It's the nudge towards consciousness, and the energy of the inbreaking is of something from the outside 
exerting an influence on you. But I love the way that that Rumi has written about this in the simple phrase, that which you seek is seeking you. So here are some of the uh, elements and signs and symbols of the inbreaking period. Morning, spring, birth, infancy, seeds, vision, awakening, transformation, inspiration, imagination, willingness. Some of the, um, those are sort of more the states of, but some of the uh, tangible symbols and representations from different cultures around the world are earth or air, yellow, the east, eagle. Visualization is also associated with the inbreaking, sunlight, surrender, and f- the, the um, conundrum, the paradox of both form and formlessness. Now, the shadow side of the inbreaking, shadow associations would include protracted immaturity, uh, blissful ignorance what Joseph Campbell calls the refusal of the call, the call to adventure, and also just an attitude of unwillingness. So there is a, a story I'd like to share about a friend of mine. She was living in London for a couple of years with her family, and she was in a horrible apartment fire Um, It was actually a a whole building, and I think it even spread to other buildings. It was such a huge fire that it was even on the BBC. And they, you know, were awoken at 2 a.m., could hear alarms, um, and had to actually, they couldn't get down. The, the, The entire floor below them was engulfed in flames. So she and her son and their cat and their dog had to scramble up the fire escape and up over this wall to get onto the roof. But when the fire trucks came, there were no ladders that were long enough to get to them. So this massive fire. I mean, the whole building was engulfed in flame. They had to wait on the roof, hoping that the trucks would be able to put it out to get to them. So completely terrifying, as I'm sure you can imagine. It just, it it changes your life and really puts you on, you know, high alert for uh, potential danger and creates that sense of insecurity. And and, um, yeah, it's just incredibly stressful. I mean, unimaginable. I can't imagine it. Well, it turns out that this is not her first massive apartment fire that she has had to escape from. And they all did escape and were taken in by kind neighbors, but not the first. What are the chances? I mean, it's, it's, it's shocking and terrifying. So they came home to Canada and her daughter is a cross country way across the country and Canada is a big country. So it's very far away. And, uh, you know, she was feeling nervous because her daughter had moved into a new apartment that was on the top floor of a house. And she wanted to remind her daughter to get smoke alarms. So she was sitting down at her computer about to write an email, was sort of starting that and then got distracted and someone at the door and then hadn't sent it. And all of a sudden the smoke alarm goes off in her home. 
which of course, you know, I'm sure you can empathize and imagine or just totally tweak you and set you off. So she's looking like what, what's going on, gets it off, but also what's going on in the house. Nothing, no smoke, just her smoke alarm going off randomly. So she remembers, I want to send that email to my daughter. She sends the email. Her daughter responds, wow, it's the craziest thing. I was, you know, in my apartment and the smoke alarm went off just like a couple hours ago, just randomly. And I looked around and there, you know, there was nothing. It was fine. And then I come to the computer and here's your email. So come on, people. She's way across country. She has a very random event of the smoke alarm going off. Her, she sends the email about the smoke alarm. Her daughter has the same thing. Come on. Like how many signs? <laughs> what does spirit or life have to do? So I said to my friend, um, if, if life was speaking to you, <laughs> what do you think it might be saying? And how do you think you might be able to respond? And she said, I don't want to ask because I'm scared. And boy, I mean, isn't that understandable? Of course, of course. Who would want to ask? It, it seems terrifying. Who would want to ask? Because it's, it's, it, yeah, there's such a visceral fear that would be accompanied by that. So, of course, it's okay to be scared and nervous. But the lesson of the inbreaking is about becoming comfortable with the non-ordinary. And it's a, about willingness to meet that and ask it, what do I have to learn? What do you have for me? I, I, I'm ready for the next piece. The shadow side of this stage is refusing the call, denying the signs and the omens and the communication that you're receiving from life. And the problem with that is when you are unwilling to respond, when you refuse the call, you give spirit the time and space and opportunity to have to be persistent. So know this, that you can learn skills that alleviate the fear and discomfort of the spiritual inbreaking. There are very simple and basic and quite universal skills that you will recognize. N not every path or um, philosophy or tradition will use these words, but they will all incorporate the essential um, practice of these first two that I'd like to share with you today. The first one is grounding, and the second is often referred to as shielding. First of all, grounding. Grounding is important for two reasons. It's important because this time can be really exhausting. The inbreaking, there is so much growth and so much newness. And so much of your energy is sort of uh, open and, and, you know, on high receive that you want to be drawing on universal energy and not depleting your own because it's inevitably going to be a time 
of high activity. And that could mean a huge energy output for you. Earth energy is uh, reliable. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, talk about deeply resourced. It's infinite and it's practical. And so that brings us to the second reason why grounding is important. You don't want to become so heavenly bent that you're no earthly good. So we all know people who are deeply spiritual, but they're kind of flakes. And, you know, they always kind of have their head in the clouds and they're not great implementers. And, you know, I'm totally generalizing here, but it's, you know, again, it's a cliche because it's to a large extent true. So grounding exercises help you to be well earth, keep your feet on the ground, stay practical and be efficacious, you know, that, that really you can um, move through your life in a way that causes concrete and tangible improvements. So grounding exercises involve either visualizing uh, an earth connection or using metaphors for stability, um, you know, strong like tree, uh, but you can, you can invoke simple rituals to uh, enhance your, your earthed energy. Simple things like, you know, painting your toenails red and, and making that uh, sort of ceremonial as you're doing it. Or choosing to walk in flat shoes instead of heels for a day. Or if you need um, some grounding energy, you need some focus, you need to feel centered and stable... Um, don't just go get a massage, go get a foot massage, get some foot, um, you know, some reflexology. And when it comes to what you're putting in your body, think about that. Think about the symbols. Um, so root foods, you know, superfoods, things that are of the earth will be um, really beneficial for you. The second skill that's very useful in the inbreaking period, uh, shielding, that, you know, so the Quakers have a variation. And, you know, I, I love the Quakers. They're, they're um, uh, just a sort of tangential point that I, I'm a liberal Quaker, or I attend the, the meeting in our hometown that is a liberal tradition. And what that means is we're bound by a shared set of practices, not a shared set of beliefs. So there are plenty of Quakers who are non-theistic. They don't actually believe in God. Um, you know, they believe in themselves or a nature kind of spirituality. Um, but the common set of practice is coming together to sit in silence and just listen for whatever that still small voice inside wants to say, or whatever God wants to say to you, however you think of it. Anyway, uh, a practice of the Quakers is also called holding in the light. And, you know, some people are quite literal where they're visualizing holding somebody else in the light, the light of God or the light of truth. That's quite a common Quaker interpretation. Um, I often just like to interpret it as holding in the love. <laughs> so I sometimes imagine, you know, um, a, a kind of pink light or pink with gold shimmery, because, you know, I'm very aesthetic that way, a, a pink shimmering gold light, light flecks of gold that go from my heart space and my chest to them and surround them. It's kind of like a Care Bear stare. I just <laughs> send out the love. Um, 
In essence, shielding involves working with either light or energy to boost your spiritual immunity. And again, that's usually through visualization or through ritual. Uh, the language of the word shielding in many ways doesn't work for me. So if it doesn't work for you, I, I you know, I totally hear you. Um, because I guess I get the sense that, um, you know, you're, you're creating a resistance between you and everything else and all that is. And personally, I don't actually think there's anything I need to protect myself from in the universe. I really do think that even, even when I'm doing like the really kind of woo-woo stuff, like um, entity releasement, you know, if people have, you know, like poltergeists or just whatever is going on around them and it's, um, you know, creepy, dark energy, even then, I'm going into that darkness and looking for what is the need? What needs to be healed here? And there's always a need for something to be healed. You know, there's a need for compassion, um, for, you know, to be seen, to be um, empathized with, to be acknowledged. And often the, uh, the acknowledgement is the healing. So I sort of just acknowledge that um, for me, everything in the universe has its place, light or dark. And so I don't really try to shield myself and put myself in a bubble per se. But what I do is kind of flip that framing a bit and I focus on the light within me and I focus on expanding it until it goes beyond my body, beyond my subtle body, you know, fills the room. It's like a meta um, meditation where I just keep filling it and wherever there is light there can be no dark and so I just cast the light as as far and wide as it needs to go um, so that's kind of what I what I'm doing I don't really do the bubble visualization but it's totally up to you the second stage of spiritual development is called the severance in the period of the severance, you're moving, you're in the state of sort of moving a, away. We have two instincts as humans, the urge to move away and the urge to move towards. So the severance is about moving away. It's about moving away from the creature comforts of the womb of your, you know, whatever that is symbolically for you, your family, your home, um, a relationship. Uh, so in this time, you, you're probably doing a lot of trading out of things. You might be trading out a whole career for another career or a whole way of being. You know, you might be cutting the bonds of an addiction. Um, or, you know, maybe what's happening in this period is not your choice. Maybe um, you've been served divorce papers or maybe somebody very close to you has died suddenly. Or maybe you have been um, diagnosed with a disease Maybe you've been fired or dumped, you know, pretty serious and uh, final forms of severance can come to you that force you onto a new path. The severance, though, is the time where we can also really get into uh, our body and get to know what it is that we want. So... I like the way that Mary Oliver describes it in that beautiful poem, Wild Geese. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body 
love what it loves. Oh, I love that one. Oh, it gets me every time, man. Love it. Mary Oliver, I love you. So some of the associations with the severance, uh, I'm just going to rattle them all off. So uh, midday, summer, childhood, rapid growth, the body, creativity, fertility, eroticism, appetites, the self, the desire to learn, adventure, fire, red, the south, coyote, the adoration of the guru. Some of the shadow associations with the severance include spiritual leapfrogging, a short attention span, a lack of commitment, self-centeredness, materialism, irritability, and ruthlessness. So the lessons of the severance involve not only a newfound uh, independence, but we're also grappling with the issue of trust, learning to trust yourself, learning to trust others, who we can trust out in the world, and learning to trust our intuition. And the shadow comes into play a lot more as we enter the severance because we can get very ruthless when we are untrusting. We can be cold-hearted. We can sort of steamroll through people and events and miss their importance. And, you know, I know, I mean, hey, we, we all have aspects of ourself that are the shadow that you know, we're embarrassed by or that we wish weren't part of us. And sometimes we try to, you know, look at them as strengths and all of that. But, but I still struggle with knowing that, you know, as, as much as I work on compassion and um, understanding and expanding my heart space and being patient and tolerant and all of those, those things, I, I can be very ruthless in severing ties and relationships if they don't serve a higher good or purpose. And yeah, I I have had to say, you know, I love you, but you can't be in my life to family members and people, you know, and, and on a conscious level, I can say, well, you know, obviously that needs to be the case because there's, you know, toxic influences here but it still hurts you know it's still family it hurts also to know that even when it's not such a big um thing you know when when it's not a relationship on the line in kind of small interactions at times there is a part of me especially when i was younger not so much anymore but i still know it's there that that can have this kind of brush off contempt for people who sort of just can't get it together you know and like that is sort of the worst expression of my um, shadow side in that space where I'm ready to go, you know what, done with that, on to the next thing. There are a lot of different ways to move through the severance. You don't have to be ruthless. And it's taken me a long time to, to learn that. A skill that can expedite your um, movement through this stage is that of ritual and boy has that ever been helpful for me with um, cutting the ties with the parts of me 
that can be ruthless. Uh, so ritual is holding up your end of the conversation with spirit. It's embodying your intention. And because spirit works on the subconscious level, and again, your body is your subconscious mind, ritual is you actively speaking the language of spirit. Now, ritual and ceremony are not the same thing, exactly. Ceremony is more like ritual dressed up. But ritual can be as simple and as quiet as drawing an affirmation card every day, or it can be as overt and bold as going on a personal development retreat. It doesn't matter what you do or how, but at its core is intentional, is intention. And so, as I said, ritual is a declaration of your intention. And I mean, this is what I love so much about regression and what inspired me to become a clinical hypnotherapist. It's the fact that you can enact so much ritual in a session while you're in a trance state. And you know that your intention is resonating on the deepest spiritual level because you're working at the level at which spirit functions, the subconscious level. So I love that because even in my spiritual life, I really appreciate efficacy and uh, impact. <laughs> and I, I love to share the story, um, a story that I learned on my own vision quest. So a ritual that I enacted was uh, going out into the desert and fasting for four days. But there were there was uh, a few days before and several days after uh, to really get into the state, um, you know, a prime state for going out and experiencing um, this encounter with myself and with my spirit and soul. And the leader of my uh, retreat, my, my quest, his name is Sparrow Heart. His website is circlesofairandstone.com. No, no, sorry. That's his company. The website is uh, questforvision.com. I highly recommend Sparrow's uh, group because it's a very spare encounter in the wilderness. It's a very essential experience. It's, it's really a beautiful, bare, naked kind of experience. Uh, spiritual experience, which I really loved and was, yeah, I mean, I hate to use cliched words, but it was profoundly transformational for me. And I needed to go on this quest to die to my old way of being and to learn what the vision was for the future version of me. And boy, did I get it. And then some, but on that trip, uh, in the preparation time before we went out to fast uh, on our own in the desert, uh, he told a lot of stories. And one of the stories he told was that of the death lodge ceremony. So in First Nations and Native American traditions, um, a number of them, there is something called the death lodge. The death lodge is where you go when you know that you're going to die. And so you would retire to your death lodge uh, before your dying time and invite people to come. And people 
would come that you were on good terms with, sometimes on bad terms with. You would have the spiritual experience of, you know, meeting your guides or people who'd passed on that, you know, where there wasn't good closure, etc. And the idea is that you become current in your relationships so that you can end well. Such an important point in the severance is to end well, even when you are severing ties with, um, you know, toxic relationships or what have you. Very important to be current in all of your relationships and up to date, everyone having said what they need to say. So Sparrow told the story of another quester who had um, been a very high-powered lawyer for a chemical company. And, I mean, it's a stereotype, but I imagine you can call to mind some of the qualities of personality (laughs) and um, disposition that you would need to have to be a high-powered defense lawyer for a global chemical company, (laughs) a well-known one. So, you know, needless to say, this guy had been through several um, divorces and had relationships with children that were broken. And, um, but, you know, he, he was also a little musician, I guess, had musicality, played a flute or what have you, and um, an outdoorsy guy and had enough self-awareness to realize, okay, something is broken in my life. This is my third divorce. What needs to happen here? So he went out and uh, he prepared for a death lodge ceremony on his quest. And what happens is you uh, create a circle or a space where you're going to sit and you create a space where the other person or visitor or guest is going to sit. Perhaps it's a rock or whatever, if you're out in the desert. And when you're ready, you say, my death lodge is open. Whoever wants to come, please come. And so he had the usual cue that people have, the people they love, the people they've argued with, you know, people who passed on places, times when closure wasn't complete, etc., And he completed his death lodge and was like, okay, great, done and done, and went to bed. And in the middle of the night, he felt an incredible weight on his body. And he was gripped with fear because he didn't know what it was. He was paralyzed. It was heavy. Uh, And he suddenly realized that there was some kind of force or energy or something pinning him down. And he had enough lucidity to realize, oh my God, I have another visitor. And he said, who are you and what do you want? And the visitor said, I am your ego. Needless to say, they had quite a long conversation and it was a difficult negotiation. But what happened in essence is he had to negotiate that his ego was gripping him and did not want to let go that easy. So he had to negotiate, what is the need? What is it that's under this? You know, how can I satisfy that need without, you know, hurting myself and others? What is it that you really need that isn't clearly, you know, power and, you know, all of those things? You know, my ego has all of those um outward signs of inward power. What is it that you really need? And so he spent that time negotiating, coming to terms. Okay, I can satisfy you here, but not here. It's a negotiation where you find a ground of being 
that works for both you and your shadow. But before his shadow left, this visitor left, he said, I want one thing from you. And that's fair to do when you're in a negotiation with your soul or shadow, whatever, with life. And he said, I want you to help me cry. I want you to help me break this wall, whatever this is that makes me kind of an asshole a lot of the time. I want you to help me cry. And then all of a sudden, the experience dissipated. It was gone in an instant. And he was sitting there thinking, oh my God, I've been talking to this rock this whole time. Like, what was that? I was dreaming. So he fell asleep and he woke up the next morning and it was the last day. So he was packing up his things and uh, he had woken up before the sun came up and he thought, you know, it's my last day. I want to, you know, mark it with ritual, whatever. So I'm going to do something special. And he took his flute. He was musical. He took his flute and he said, I'm just going to play some music as the sun comes up and just, you know, have one last look at the desert before I go back to camp and reunite with Sparrow and all the other questers. And as the sun came up, he took out his flute and he started playing. And he played a song that he had never heard before. It just came through. And he played this song and it was so beautiful that he started to bawl. (laughs) And he knew that the experience had been real. And I I love that story. I share that whenever I can because I've had multiple experiences that really can't be explained. They can't really be conveyed. The power of them gets lost as soon as you try to speak it. As I've said before, it's, I mean, everybody has said the Tao that can be spoken is not the Tao. And it's that way with ritual. It'll be such a, a, a subtle and personal experience that its importance may be difficult to convey or even explain to yourself, but you will know. That's the power of a ritual, is it's a very nuanced and personal experience. And that's partly what's beautiful, is that only you will know. So the next stage of spiritual development is the threshold. Now, the threshold has the energy of moving towards. You're, you're trying stuff on, and every day is a new milestone or discovery or insight. And I said in the first podcast, I find motherhood like that. It's sort of a constant state of the threshold experience. Just as you think you're kind of getting into a routine, boom, new development, uh, new awareness, new growth. And so what do you know? You have to finish, you know, leave that routine behind and now you're into a new one and you're trying it on and it never feels like you're quite getting on top of it. But the lesson at this time, the lesson of the threshold really is about cultivating an indestructible sense of self-identity. In, in psychological terms, it's about differentiation. This is a great time to be learning with others you know, the, the, the sense of being at um, the foot of the guru, working with teachers, consulting with coaches and guides, being out there trying different intuitives, 
we cultivate discernment through trial and error and experimentation. So in the severance, we were really orienting ourselves towards uh, the moving away and um, very influenced uh, by the outside in the threshold it's sort of like you're really getting deep into that process now you're really uh, working with teachers in a more uh, committed way you're also taking more risks you're trying more things on and a useful skill in the threshold is getting yourself into the light trance state so you can do your spiritual work meditation is the place to start. But if you find that difficult, you can try other things because anytime you're in the zone, you're in a light trance state. So, I mean, when I'm with a hypnosis clients, I try to explain that, that notion of how everything really can be hypnosis. You know, when you're driving your car and you're on your regular route and you arrive at your destination and you can't even remember driving, that is being in a light trance state maybe it's a deep trance state, you're in a trance state, you're in the zone. Some people get that when they're running, you know, you're, you're running, you're doing your, your regular route, uh, but then you arrive there and it feels like it's only been five minutes. And in fact, it's been 20. Um, people also have that with, with, you know, swimming and other sports as well. Um, even, you know, rock climbing and stuff like that. It, when you have that intense focus such that time falls away, everything falls away. My, my friend, Karen Evelyn, who is a coach and trainer, calls that the genius zone. Shaman, they use the drum to help get into that light trance state uh, because the drum, of course, is the archetype of the, the heartbeat, that rhythmic pulsing leads us very easily into ourselves and puts us in trance. In trance. And in yoga, we come back to the breath. In meditation, we come back to the breath because it's consistent and gets us into that rhythm. Um, for me, I actually find my most interesting revelations and intuitive hits come in the morning as I'm waking up, as I'm passing through the brainwave state that is, uh, you know, the, the light trance state. Um, so I'm going to just read off again some of the associations with this state, the threshold state. So evening, autumn, adolescence, cleansing, harvest, foresight, in-between states, differentiation, acceptance, introspection, dreaming, self-love, water, black, deep blue, west, the bear, hibernation, soulfulness, compassion, empathy, manifestation, the shadow side of the threshold, those associations could include <clears throat> fear of depth, self-criticism, over-concern with meaning, and spending too much money. I'm going to get to that bit <laughs> in a bit, but I, I should say that the hallmark of the threshold experience is of being worn out at the end. The threshold is a tiring experience. Um, meditation teacher that I know, Kimmy Leslie, calls it uh, the threshold of chaos that leads to breakdown, <laughs> which is, oh, it's harsh because it's true. <laughs> 
And I, I learned the origin of the word threshold uh, through Sparrow Hart, my, my teacher, and uh, his teachers, um, Stephen Foster and Meredith Little, who uh, wrote The Four Shields and have the School of Lost Borders in California. They have a great sort of handbook uh, for the vision quest. And in it, they talk about the origin of the word threshold comes from threshing hold. So back in the old agrarian days when they had to bring in the wheat, um, they'd bring in the wheat and the grains and there would be sort of a, a trough in, in the floor and they would literally bash the grains and the wheat over this trough and that is how they would separate the wheat from the chaff. So the threshing hold is where they would do that work. That was the trough. So the threshold experience, the 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 way you know you're in it, <laughs> is because you start to feel pretty uh, battered and beaten and world-weary. So let me just gently remind you about grounding. That's a really helpful uh, experience in the threshold. And I also want to talk about uh, the money thing, because if you are spending, like you've seen those deals, like you can spend $10,000 or for a, a VIP day with your guru, or, you know, it's like, yes, um, you can, you know, be in my workshop, but if you really want to commit to yourself and invest in yourself, you're going to spend for the $10,000, you know, mastermind group or whatever it is. If, if you are spending that kind of money on like a day with your guru or coach, maybe you have lost your way <laughs> because you are overvaluing other people's experience and have a lack of confidence in your own and uncertainty happens to us all. But when you're out there searching, I just want to remind you to keep a tether securely attached to your values and your sense of self and your inner landscape, your inner experience, so that you don't spend a lot of time in the shadow of the, sh of the threshold, in the shadow of the threshold and in someone else's experience that they prescribe for you. That brings us to the end of the second podcast. I hope you will join me for the third and final in this series, where I start by talking about the incorporation, the next and most important of the five stages of spiritual development. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed it, please review it on iTunes and share it far and wide so we can reach more seekers like you. You never know who needs to hear it today. If you'd like to keep exploring the great mystery of life with me, you can go to my website, carmenspaniola.com, C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A, and click on the link for the Numinous School, my online intuition development course. While you're there, sign up for my monthly email newsletter. You'll instantly receive a meditation download and you'll get something free from me every month. I hope you'll stay tuned for the third part, the final episode in the three-part series, Becoming Your Own Spiritual Advisor. Until next time, take care. <laughs>